God, if we are struggling, Lord, to understand you, your heart, your love for us, and if we're having a hard time understanding our new identity as your free children, God, help us today. Give us strength. If we're weary, wounded, and discouraged, God, only you can give us life. So, God, I pray that we would open our eyes to your word. And may uh, your revelation to us and the inner working of your spirit in our hearts bring about the change that we need today. And may this word bear fruit. Uh, May it draw us closer to you. May we love you more and hate more the things of the world that lead to death. Lord, free us today if we're still chained. And help us to rejoice uh, with joy in our heart the new life in Christ conjoined to him that we get to enjoy forever and ever. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, last week Pastor Charles was here and uh, he taught us uh, what it means that we have once and for all died to sin. Uh, the, rema- the reigning power of sin has forever been destroyed. Did he use that chicken illustration? Right? The head was sliced off and we are moving more and more progressively in our lives to that eternal life that he has uh, secured for us. Now, I love fried chicken, so every time I hear that, my stomach turns a little bit. Um, But more and more now as I'm eating that these days, I'm like, Lord, thank you. Thank you that sin no longer has mastery over me and eat the chicken. But because there's still remaining sin, we are also to consider ourselves dead to sin. There's an active part that we need to play to live out these truths. So the second half of this chapter, which is my passage for today, is how do we better understand that? How can we uh, use this? What are some things we can remember that will help us when in our day-to-day lives we face sin and temptation all the time? Now, if you notice that during uh, the scripture reading today, um, our passage, there was a lot of talk about slavery. Now, slavery is terrible. It's unpleasant. The mistreatment of human beings is an evil thing because every human heart longs for freedom. That's what we were made for. This past winter, uh, I got a chance to uh, visit some friends out in San Francisco, and I took a tour of the Alcatraz Island, uh, the prison known as The Rock. It's an old movie with uh, Sean Connery. Uh, I think he's still alive, I think. Um, And uh, it was just a very, very... um, I don't know, kind of a life-changing experience of sorts, because I was being led through, we were led through this, uh, the halls of this prison with head, headsets on, um, recounting some of the stories of what these criminals went through, and uh, hearing some of their testimonies really, really just, uh, um, I don't know, very enlightening as to what it was really like in there. Some of them um, incarcerated for, for years in maximum high security, and just dreaming and longing uh, for the freedom and the life they wanted, and they forfeited by their own choices. And he took us through this room where there's this view of the city. And it's beautiful. It's like over the bay. And it's just like, that's, that's free life right there. But we can't enjoy it because we're chained. We're chained up. Uh, we're imprisoned, paying the price uh, for what we've done. And this experience that I'll never forget. You know, hopefully not too many of us have ever been held captive against our own will. And, but we can all uh, agree that uh, the feeling of being enslaved, not being able to do what we want to do is one of the worst feelings. Uh, maybe some of you students feel like you're a slave uh, to your school. 
Like I know finals are coming up, and uh, man, maybe that's the experience you're going through. All work, work, labor, uh, never seems like it's enough. I had a recent conversation with one of our uh, RCF alum who really feels like he's a slave to his work. He's working in a big city, uh, this big corporation, un- and he's looking to get out. Unending demands, high pressure, and uh, really not enjoying uh, his day-to-day life. Maybe some of you growing up felt like a slave to your parents, uh, having to please them, having to excel at things that you had no interest in, and maybe that was what you uh, felt like uh, living at home. Many, sadly, today feel like a slave in their current uh, situation, their marriages, their families. Uh, the joy and bliss have long disappeared, and sadly, home feels like a prison. And even in our spiritual lives, as we think about it, the idea of being a slave to sin is horrifying no matter how far along you are, uh, no matter what you've learned, if that's what your day-to-day life feels like. And that's why the gospel message that we have been set free from the dominion and reign of sin forever, that we have died to sin, is one of the most liberating things we can ever hear. And so having said that, it probably sounds very strange today that Paul, he moves from that idea and now talks about the fact that we are to be slaves once again to God. And we need to talk about that idea of slavery with regard to our Christianity because if we don't, if we dismiss it, we can misunderstand what our relationship with Christ is all about. The Bible is clear and intentional on its choice of words and And by no means is human slavery a good thing, as I said, but the Bible does use this word doulos, right? Bondservant, many times to describe our new identity uh, as a Christian, and we do need to learn from it today. So uh, if I were to summarize my uh, talk today in just one sentence, it's this. Uh, And if you're filling out that little handout there, uh, you can fill this in. True spiritual freedom is found in slavery to Jesus Christ. True spiritual freedom is found is found in slavery to Jesus Christ. Okay? I, I'm in the habit of just summarizing my sermon in one sentence now. So if you're going to tune out, you can write that down. And this afternoon, you can tell your friends, oh, that sermon, true slavery is found. <laughs> slavery, freedom is found in Christ. Uh, see, you're paying attention. So the three uh, uh, parts here is, number one, the, inevitabil- the en- inevitability of slavery, the effects of slavery, number two, and number three, the intentionality of slavery. So first, the inevitability of slavery. We are all slaves to something at any given point in our lives. So uh, keep your Bibles open. Follow with me, uh, starting from verse 15. Uh, Paul starts with a question here. and It is very similar to uh, last week's passage in verse 1. He says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Uh, at first, it sounds similar to uh, the question in verse 1, but actually, it's actually he's coming from a different angle. Uh, verse 1, he was asking the question of whether or not we should continue in sin so that grace may abound. Somehow in our sin, if we sin more, does grace increase? And the answer we heard was no, absolutely not. Here, the question is, are we to sin because grace already abounds? It, it will indeed abound. It will always be there. So because that's true, because we're no longer under the constraints of the moral law, does it matter if we sin or not? Why can't we just do whatever we want if grace is going to abound? If we're going to go to heaven anyway, why can't we just enjoy our lives the way we want? What's the point of morning prayer 
and reading the Bible in the morning when I could just sleep extra and get extra rest for the day, my day of work or school? Why deny ourselves of fleshly pleasures when we live only once? So are we to keep sinning? And the answer is the exact same answer, in the exact same spirit, with the exact same emphasis. By no means, because the truly saved believer must not keep giving in to sin. And Paul explains that by talking about slavery. Verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves, and the idea is there, if you keep presenting yourself as obedient slaves, then you are slaves of the one whom you obey. So either of sin on this side, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So there's only two paths you can be on. We cannot and should not continue in sin because if we do, we who are truly free, which God has declared, can actually live like we are slaves again. And is that what you really want? It's inevitable we'll always be slaves to something. Dr. Keller in his study on Romans 1 through 7 says this, being saved doesn't mean you are free from having a master. You can either be a slave to sin or a servant of God, you can't be neither, and you can't be both. We understand you can't be both, but you can't be neither either. And I was just talking to somebody yesterday about this. We were discussing this passage together, and the idea that sometimes we just want to break from things. It's like, I won't sin, but I just don't want to beat myself up to try to be the best I can be here. Let me just kind of stay in this neutral zone and not worry about anything. But the idea of what this scripture is telling us here is that you, there is no neutral ground. Because he points out also that to try to choose neutrality, if that were even possible at all, is also to resist God because he's constantly beckoning us down this road towards obedience. You are either for God or against God. You are either rooting for the Sixers or you're rooting for Miami, right? I think that series is over, by the way, but uh, there's no neutral ground. Actually, it kind of is, but uh, in your experience, you know what I mean. We're all bowing down to and submitting our will to something. And whatever you serve, you're also worshiping. You're also bringing glory to. And you can never say no. The glutton who can't say no to the consumption of more food, better food all the time, is a slave to their stomach, slave to their appetite. The person who can't say no to sexual immorality is a slave to the lust of their flesh. The person who can't say no to hours of entertainment, shows, episodes of dramas over and over again into the hours and hours of the night, episodes, you see that black screen in between episodes, you see a reflection in there, and you're wondering, what has my life become? <laughs> Is this all I do? You know, it's a slave to entertainment, pleasure. The person who is obsessed, stares at their bank statements, investments, stock portfolios all day long, is a slave to money. What is it for you? At whose altar do you offer yourself as a sacrifice? We can't be neither. We can't be both. But here's the good news, that though slavery to something is inevitable, if you are in Christ, if it's true of you that you have been brought from death to life. What this passage teaches us is that you now have the ability on a day-to-day -day basis in the everyday situations of your life to choose who your master will be. That's very clear as we read this. Those who are not saved 
don't have that choice yet because we're born in sin. We're born depraved. We're born naturally following where our flesh leads us if we're not in Christ. That's why it says it's at your, it's at your physical birth that your slavery to sin begins, but it's at your new birth, your spiritual rebirth when God plants his DNA in you. And now that conflict has started where you want to follow God, but there's also this pull to do what he doesn't want. But that's when you can start to say yes to the things of God, and you can live out your identity now as his servant. You may not be a Christian here today, and maybe uh, what's difficult for you to really commit to uh, our faith is just the idea that it looks like the Christian life is uh, restrictions and being chained to archaic, old-fashioned teachings. And maybe the question is, is it realistic to live this way, given the world that we live in, to follow what the Bible teaches? And that's a very good question, very good question to ask. And it's good to find out that answer, to see what the Bible offers and provides for you, what Jesus has done, because it's only then when you know the better way to live that truly, truly uh, you'll experience all that comes from following Christ. But take a look at your life. Christians too, are you truly free in the ways that you think you are? Are you living as a free Christian today? And a good way to kind of uh, diagnose that is to ask yourself, what are the biggest sources of your frustration and misery these days? Right? What, uh, what gets you worked up? What do you need right now to happen in your life and to continue to happen to make you feel like you're truly happy? And you're constantly clinging to that. And when that's threatened, that's when things start to really, really fall out of alignment in your life. And you start to lose balance. Well, Romans 6 points us to the truth. And we'll get to this, the effects of slavery. That uh, there's really, really only one path uh, that can settle all that for you. And really answer that question. Are you a slave of God or are you a slave to sin? Number two, the effects of slavery. We see now here the, the results and fruits of slavery. Starting from verse 19. Follow with me. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Just a real quick thing here. The first thing Paul does is here in verse 19 is he makes this disclaimer saying he's uh, using this imperfect illustration of slavery to describe the new Christian experience because the very fact that our human understanding is limited, right? We cannot perfectly comprehend and understand the deep spiritual things of God. That's why we need uh, illustrations like this. Human terms, that's what he calls uh, so that uh, we can at least begin to understand. And he goes on to spell it out for them. What's going to happen? What's going to happen if you continue to live as a slave to sin? Now keep in mind what he's doing here as he's giving these words. He's not trying to sound clever. Or he's not just trying to wow them with things that he has figured out. He's trying to really inspire them. He's trying to convince them to do, and he's trying to do all he can to get them to surrender to God. And in verse 19, what he says is that if you continue to live as a slave to sin, it will lead to more lawlessness. It's going to get worse. It's an ever-increasing cycle of wickedness. And how true that is, that the more you give in to temptations and sin, that the likelihood of sinning in greater measures, in greater degrees, increases significantly. It's when we act out of a particular purpose that 
those actions shape our character and our will so that down the road it becomes easier to act that way again. You guys know that old well-known quote, when you sow a thought, you, uh, you reap an action. Action leads to character, uh, to habits, and to ultimately to a destiny. Right? A couple of examples here. Let's say you're in the habit of lying a lot. Uh, and it just never stays with just one lie you tell. In your first time, it might uh, leave you feeling a little guilty about it, but it almost always leads to other lies to cover up the lies that you've told. Uh, cheaters go through this. You know, it gets easier and easier in every time. I think sexual lust is probably one of the most intense examples of this. One look in the wrong direction. One night where you give in to temptation uh, and do something with someone who isn't your spouse, someone you're not committed to. One taste of that thrill when no one's around, especially if you don't get caught. Our animalistic human nature is to just want more. We need a bigger thrill, and it gets harder to say no. And how many people who end up doing things that get them in trouble say, wow, I never imagined I, w I could ever be capable of doing anything like this. And that's how it works. It gets worse and worse and worse. And usually how we end up there is when we think to ourselves, you know, I can always say sorry to God tomorrow, right? I can always just, uh, repentance, that, that's something I can do later, you know? I was reminded of that. I used to do youth ministry with uh, Pastor Luke over here, these BYG kids. Man, they were, man, these boys were so mean to the girls. It was, it was ridiculous. I had one football player. He, he had this girl, like, wear all these, like, cushions, pillows, and he would practice his tackling drills on her after, after large group. I, was, I got so mad. I was like, what do you, why, do you, why do you behave like this? And the answer, not all the time, but it would always be like, hey, just sit now and repent later. <laughs> and they would just keep, keep going on with that. You know, and um, in the midst of me judging them and getting upset, uh, I remember thinking uh, to myself, that's, that's how a lot of us operate. That's how a lot of us live. Uh, Midweek, it's like, I'll just kind of sit on this thought. Uh, I'll just uh, scratch this itch. I'll... Uh, indulge this for, uh, for now. Uh, God will receive my prayer in a couple days, or on Sunday when we do the prayer confession. Uh, I can wait for that. Uh, I'll pray during that time and just try to start over again. Right? Uh, and that, that's probably at times uh, where our thoughts take us. But that's a spiritually dangerous way to live because we need to know uh, that it's not guaranteed that repentance will come to you as easily as you think. Thomas Brooks, uh, he's a 17th century writer. He gives this quote, talking about the lies of Satan when enticing us to sin. He says, but he who tempts you to sin upon the account that repentance is easy later will ere long bring you to despair and forever destroy your soul and represent repentance as the most difficult and hardest work in the world. And maybe we've experienced that where we get to the point where we're so weakened, the self-pity, the guilt, it just gets worse and worse that we hit rock bottom and it just it feels so far from God that we ha it, it's a bigger fight than we ever imagined to say sorry to God, to feel remorse. And the enemy knows that. And that's why he plants those thoughts, those seeds of temptation in us. Just enjoy this now. And the idea is that we should never ever believe that. The breakdown of our relationship with God is a real, immediate, drastic consequence when we continue to give in. 
But the way it works is, yes, uh, that happens. But if we are in Christ, even this feeling and thought of something isn't right, and we've heard this, is God's amazing grace to us. You know, a lot of times, even in my life, when I feel intensely guilty over ways I've disobeyed God or failed to love others or messed up in the ministry, feelings of guilt come because that's who we are as human beings. And in that moment, I can decide. I can allow those feelings of guilt to define me and just sit there in self-pity and think to myself, I'm a bad person. I need to do better. I need to do a better job of things. And granted, I do. But those feelings of guilt can also be what God plants in you to say, wake up. Come to your senses and cry out to God who offers you grace today. That's what exact, that was the exact case for the prodigal son when he ran away and was living a life of lavish sin. He was in the mud pit, and what the Bible describes is that he came to himself. He realized where he was and thought, how much better I had it in my father's house where I'm well, well taken care of and loved. That's where I'll go. I'll, I'll run home. And for us, who oftentimes just kind of accept the fact that we'll always, always struggle with the things we struggle with, this passage shines a light on us saying that's not how we're supposed to live. Follow the word of God. Remember the effects of these, what this slavery leads you to. And in verse 21, Paul shows us the end result, the ultimate end result, the end game here, so to speak. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were ashamed? For the end of those things is death. What he's doing there is, think about who you were before you were saved. How did it make you feel? Don't you remember how shameful all that was? What does that do to you? when you look back at some of the things that went on in your life. Uh, there's this movie called The Hangover. Um, if you don't, didn't watch that, uh, don't, don't. Don't watch that one. Okay? Um, uh, I thought Bradley Cooper was cool. That's why I gave it a, gave it a watch. But um, these middle-aged men just uh, acting crazy um, in Vegas. Um, they don't know what went on because they blacked out. At the end of the movie, they see on video what, what they did, and they were horrified. They were traumatized. Never again. And then hangover two and three come out. <laughs> Slaves to sin, right? Um, and Paul's saying, this is what believers feel when they recall their former way of life. Something you never want to return to. Because reckless, sinful living only leaves you broken. Right? I think about some, maybe some of those mornings you wake up. And you know, I often even counsel students uh, who uh, sometimes really do things they don't want to do on weekends. They, they wake up mornings. Can't even look at yourself in the mirror uh, saying, why, why did I do that? Why did I live that way? And the question that's presented to us in verse 21 is, what fruit were you getting? Aren't you, did, why relive that? Why put those chains back on yourself? The end of those things is death because the very nature of sin is death as we even see at the end of this passage here. But... Um, believers in Christ, we won't taste that eternal death. But what happens when we give in to sin is these bite-sized tastes of death. For example, if you're a, a slave to the approval of man, you're constantly worried about what other people think of you. You know, that is, that is slavery. You know, I know I struggle with that a lot. Constant insecurity 
that you're not being loved enough. There's envy that other people are getting more of that approval and attention. Self-pity when you don't get it. Your feelings get hurt so easily. It's bite-sized taste of death. If you're a slave to achievement, success, accomplishment, you know what that brings when you're not getting what you want. There's constant fatigue. There's drivenness. A lot of anger when you can't conquer what you want to conquer or when what you want is threatened. You know the kind of feelings you think because we're grasping at things that always fail to deliver. These are not true masters. We have a new master who's better, much better. And that's why he moves on in this passage to say, on the other hand, though lawlessness leads to more lawlessness, if you present yourself to God, it gets better and better. It says, slavery to Christ leads to sanctification, which is God perfecting his work in us progressively till we're perfect one day in the glories of heaven above. On one hand, where your ungodly actions shape who you become. On the other hand, your godly actions, instead of your sinful ones, shape your character and your will. You're now sowing to please the Spirit. And you're walking in life that is truly life. And from there, Paul says, the end game there is eternal life. And just like what I said before, where sometimes we get these bite-sized tastes of what death might feel like, we can also taste what eternal life is like. That is what we'll get in full when he brings us home one day, but in the here and now, we can know what that tastes like today. So if you're not, if instead of bowing down to the approval and acceptance of others, you live in the security that God sees you as one with his son Jesus, and you're perfectly accepted, then you experience life, deep peace, mental, spiritual, emotional stability, his love for you, which runs deep and deep. Instead of being a slave to the riches and success of this world, we live for the abundance of God's eternal riches that he has promised for all of us to inherit because we are his. If we do that, then in bite-sized measures we can experience contentment, unspeakable joy, freedom, we can love others. We can give. We can be selfless. And the picture that Paul is painting for us here in Romans 6 is done in such a way where that's what we want. That's what we want to strive for. So what are we to do? It, we don't just drift into that place. Lastly, the intentionality of slavery. We must be intentional. Verse 17. Says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. It's been done for us. Obviously, it's ultimately the work of God. We were committed. That's a passive verb. But before we do anything at all, Paul here, he's celebrating. He says, thanks be to God, meaning we worship God. We thank God for it. We appreciate it. We let it really, really shape who we are. And doing that now, and the verse 19 says, present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Presenting your members literally means to offer the parts of your body, right? So not just your arms and legs, but your soul. All your components that carry out your design or purpose, the deepest core of who you are, offer that to God, right? Just like your kids would do show and tell, you kind of bring something, or when you were growing up, you show and, you show and tell about something that you're proud of, you want to present that. That's kind of the similar language here where we give ourselves 
We daily surrender, give complete control to him. It's in the big things in our lives, and it's in the little things in our lives. It's living consistently with who our master truly is. So it could be like a big decision we make. I know a lot of people that I know uh, are always uh, caught choosing between uh, two potential jobs or two potential situations. And sometimes the story goes like this. One job is higher paying and in a more comfortable location than the other. But they know that the nature of that job might, uh, of that nicer job, uh, isn't necessarily edifying. It might require working ungodly hours in an ungodly environment and might encourage ungodly talk, behavior, and uh, all that comes with it. The other one might uh, pay less and require you to live somewhere that isn't as nice, but it puts you around better people. It allows you more time to serve the church, uh, to use your gifts, uh, to shine your light in this world. Now, that's your right. You have every right to choose whatever you want. But who you choose to serve as your master becomes a factor now. It affects your thoughts. It affects your planning. And at the end of the day, who you ultimately bow to. Or a little decision. I thought about this about a week and a half ago when I, when I woke up. As soon as I woke up. Um, so next to your bed, like me, you might have a little table here. And on that little lamp table, there are two things. It's your phone and it's your Bible. Which one are you going to reach for first? <laughs> All right. What's your fuel, all right? What gets you up? Uh, what, what gets you awake and uh, prepares you for your day? Now, you know, it's, again, your decision. It's not a big deal, but uh, I know that when I sometimes reach for my device or whatever's there, you know, where that leads me to. Am I scrolling so much, my thumb hurts. It's twitching throughout the day, you know? Whether it's social media posts, because I'm, I'm curious, more nosy than curious. You guys kind of going through that. A uh, lot of sports news, recaps, highlights, a lot of playoffs these days. You've got you to stay up with that. All these things you're putting on your mind as your day begins. Right? And in a sense, bowing to those things. And you know in your heart what kind of path that leads you down. The things you're going to worry about, obsess over, and what drives you throughout the day. Uh, and you also know that when you open your Bible, it's a little bit different. Um, you might come across a passage that really speaks to your heart exposes a certain sin, idol, uh, and it leads you to prayer, even if it's a short, quick prayer, saying, God, this day is yours. This heart is yours. Right? You pray for guidance. Uh, you ask for God's strength. And in that place, uh, you can love God more. You have an eternal perspective on your day, whatever's on your schedule. And you're not as worried and anxious about a lot of things. Right? It's a little thing, just a little thing. You know, and, you know, we're never going to be perfect in this. Uh, but that's not the point. The point is, this is what it means to present yourself as a slave of righteousness leading to sanctification, verse 19. To act consistent, consistently with what a slave of God is supposed to do. How we're supposed to live. And he goes on in verse 17 to say, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, now you become obedient from the heart, verse 17. It's joyful, glad obedience. And this only comes when the person you're obeying and serving is someone you truly, truly love and someone who has truly, truly been good to you. Right? Uh, slavery that is marked by fear and drudgery and pain, that is the worst kind of slavery. But when you 
are serving a master who you know has nothing but your best interest and your good in mind. It flows out of true gratitude. You know, I was reading up on this in the New Testament times. I read that there was a great upside for slaves, uh, being that many, many uh, uh, people, especially wealthy people, they owned servants, you know, to do their household work. And that it was accepted and fine for slaves to really want to have a good master. That's what they aspired to. Because they will be well taken care of. They will be given comfortable living conditions and quarters. They weren't abused. They would get a nice meal and they will be well provided for. And those slaves enjoyed to, of being, being of service to their lords. Right? And I read that in certain households, because they were so well, well taken care of, you couldn't tell the difference between who the masters and the slaves were. There was a joyful, joyful life of service that went on there. And secondly, we see from that verse is that we are obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching, which is referring to the very words of God, the law of God, something we could never perfectly obey, but this law, this word, we're not just enslaved to what we think or imagine to be what God wants, but what's written for us in his word. And again, this moral, this law that was given to us in the Old Testament to the, to the, uh, uh, to the people of Israel, uh, it obviously didn't achieve uh, the perfect obedience in their lives. In fact, they broke it. They were unfaithful, but it only pointed them to their need for a Savior. And that Savior came as a living Word of God, and He freed them from having to live up to those high demands. And He says, now you have been committed. You have been transferred over to a new master, and now you are obedient from the heart to this standard of teaching. So it starts with the Word, where we need grace to obey it, and it brings us back to that word. And that's why the place of the word of God in our lives is so important. Hold it near and dear to your heart. Well, <clears throat> in Paul's letters, uh, on many occasions, uh, he writes these signatures. I, Paul, uh, a servant of Christ. And in some of his writings that uh, he wrote later in his life, he often called himself a prisoner of Christ. And it's meaningful and appropriate because he was in a physical prison. Uh, he, was, uh, he was in prison for having preached the gospel. And he was writing these letters encouraging the church to do the same. To show them that these chains were there for the advancement of the gospel in this world. And his message always was, the reason I'm wearing these physical chains is that I am first and foremost a prisoner to my Lord Jesus Christ, to whom I belong. I have been bought and ransomed by him, and that is why these chains have any significance at all. That's why he's free. And we make a big talk about having freedom in Christ, but this freedom came at such a tremendous price for us. And that price being that a sinless Savior took the form of a slave, Philippians 2, 7, being born in the likeness of men, and though he was God, he allowed himself to be treated like a slave, beaten like a slave, executed like a slave, the worst kind of slave. And the question that's so important for us is, did Jesus die? Did he die as a slave so that 
today we can just continue to live the way we want and freely pursue the pleasures of this world? Do you use the old rugged cross to justify reckless behavior, boasting that we can do whatever we want? And yes, we can. But on the other hand, do you cherish the old rugged cross? Do you choose to carry it every day, following the footsteps of your good master, Christ? Again, if you're not a Christian here today, this is the path of freedom that we preach. Come and find life that is truly life. The ability to say no to things that make your life miserable and to say yes to the one who calls himself the living water. And if you believe in him, it will become like a wellspring of life that quenches your thirst and gives you the ability to experience personal freedom and in a close relationship with him. There's no greater thing than that. To find life that is truly life, you lose it for his sake. And what's more, even more amazing about this, um, and this is a little preview of chapter 8, which is coming much later, even though it's only two chapters, um, that even though we are slaves of Christ, he doesn't treat us that way. He treats us as adopted sons and daughters and gives us all the rights that comes with it. And that's what we're going to learn down the road, the doctrine of adoption into his family. We're not just slaves. We're heirs. What kind of master gives the inheritance of all his wealth to someone who is just there employed as a servant? That's us. We who were once outside of the household are not only called to joyful service to him, but we're in the family. And all that's his is ours one day. That's somebody we want to be our master. We've all been bought with a price. We are not our own. We were called to freedom. Not to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through his love to serve. So he freed us for that very purpose. And friends, uh, Renewal Mainline, may our church be marked by such purpose and freedom. And if we see each other struggling with this, may we uh, point each other to the word. Uh, this standard of teaching but has the power to move us away uh, from the things that chain us and enslave us. And may we pray together uh, that we will love uh, and we will strive to follow hard after and deliberately rest in every day uh, the freedom that our Master gives. Would you bow your heads with me as we end our time in reflection uh, to uh, these, this teaching here? I want to read you a prayer, and maybe you can um, follow along with me this prayer. It's uh, called the Prayer of the Slaves of Christ, and uh, I'll give you a few minutes to pray on your own in response to this. It says, Father, we thank you today for helping us to see something that maybe we haven't seen so clearly in the past. We are slaves, happily so, gladly so, who have been brought out of another slavery the slavery of, to sin and death and hell. We have been bought, redeemed from the slave market of souls under the power and authority of Satan himself. We have become your own purchased possession. We want to obey you as our Lord, our master. We want to please you in all that we do. We will not try to serve both you and the world, but we will only serve you knowing that you will provide for everything we need and more, that you have given us precious promises to do that now and forever and that you have made us not just slaves, but sons. 
Not just sons, but joint heirs. Not just joint heirs, but rulers who will reign with you forever and upon whom all the glories of eternity will be showered. We are slaves who are loved. We are slaves who are beloved by our master. We love you in return, O Lord, and desire to serve you and to please you with all our hearts in single-minded, undistracted devotion. And we pledge ourselves again to that because we love you and because it honors you and it pleases you. Thank you for the privilege and all that you give us of which we are so unworthy. Friends, would you pray on, in your heart just for a few minutes here? Uh, what path are you on? What identity are you living out? You know in your heart, it's been preached to you, perhaps for years, who you truly are before God. Our chains are gone. We've been set free. We truly are no longer prisoners uh, of death. But are you living like it? Who are you presenting yourself to as soon as you wake up in the morning? When you're given responsibilities, when you're making decisions for yourself, your family, for your children, what drives you? Who, to whom do you bow? And can I ask, ask you to really challenge yourself with this question? That if I truly do belong to God, and if I really am living as one sold out for the wishes of a master who truly died for me, is there anything different? Is there anything different I need to live? Nothing will ever change the fact that if you believe in him in faith, that you are truly forever a joint heir of all that he promises one day. But may your day-to-day -day life really be experienced, whether it's in bite-sized increments or whether it's poured upon you, the eternal life that is fully, fully yours and the glories of his kingdom one day. For a couple of minutes here, let's respond to that. Let's run to the Lord. Let's say, Lord, give me the strength to forsake these other masters and turn to you. Lead me in prayers of repentance, surrender. And I now present myself to you as a slave of righteousness, a prisoner of hope, a trophy of your grace. Lead me to sanctification and eternal life. Let's pray.